Well, today it's my privilege uh, to introduce Pastor Philip. He pastors in Germany, and he was in our church for two years while he was at Regent University, about five, six years ago. And we really consider uh, Philip a son of the house. He's, uh, he imbibes the values of new life as well as any leader I have met. And it's our privilege to be in relationship with him. The church he pastors in Germany is statistically one of the fastest growing churches in Germany. And I think it could be argued that Germany is a post-Christian nation. And yet he has a church full of young neo-Pentecostals, young families. They're growing. He's just telling me they just got this building and seats and, uh, 300. And they're, in, in Germany, a 300-member independent charismatic church is a mega church. Can I hear any amen to that? I mean, this it's unheard of. I mean, it's just unheard of. And they're having to go to multiple services. They're up to 450. We're up to 4,200. Maybe I should preach. No. What's that? Yeah. Anyway, it's a phenomenal church. I've had a privilege of being there once. And, and, uh, and his wife is with him. He'll introduce her in just a moment. But he's going to be continuing uh, our theme on prayer. And I had the privilege of hearing the message at Kimsville just an hour ago. And it's a tremendous message. So would you give Pastor Philip a new life greeting and welcome? All right. Thank you all. I'm looking, you know what I'm looking forward to? Pastor Marvin cheering me on while I'm preaching, Pastor Marvin. All right. Because it's a joy and it's a privilege to be here, but it's also um, frightening, kind of. Um, and I'm a little bit nervous because Pastor Dan is here and, you know, Pastor Joel, big shoes, Pastor Melvin, I have to step in. So I'm a little bit frightened. New life changed our lives. I could say that. Uh, God tricked us to come to the U.S. He's a tricky God. So we were praying what to do with our lives after we served uh, as a youth pastor in Switzerland. And he told us, go to Regent and do your master's degree. And I said, well, education is always a good thing, right? So we came. But he actually wanted us to be at New Life and to, to get to know New Life and how we can be a spirit-filled, charismatics with a brain church where there's grace and joy and peace and happiness. And so uh, God tricked us in to come. We would have not come if he had said, well, go to New Life for two years. I would say, no. <laughs> we weren't Pentecostal at the time. So... Um, we are doing actually nearly the same, or we're trying to copy and paste. The original is always better than um, the non-original, but it's working. We have a spirit-filled church. It's growing. People are coming to faith in Germany. We're super happy for that. So thank you all for all your investment in this church. Um, it actually changed not our, only our lives. It also changed lives in Germany, in my church, and it will continue to change lives. So thank you for being part of New Life praying for us, and um, yes, the, thank you so much. So, yesterday was the prayer summit, and we just flew in, we um, 
endured the whole five hours. It was a joy and a pleasure. That was the culminating high point of the month of prayer. This sermon is only a wrap-up. Um, but what a great gift we have in prayer, that God is a God who can listen to us and that he hears and responds to our prayers. Anybody is happy for that, that we have a listening God? Let's go. You know, your prayer life is your relationship with God, so let's keep on praying. I brought a story out of the Old Testament um, I want to share with you. It's a crazy story, and the main character is a man of prayer. He went to, uh, he's a disciple of the man of prayer in the Old Testament. James in the New Testament writes about Elijah. He says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. That's just a funny, right? Even as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. I'm a human being, but I'm not as Elijah. I can pray and the rain will stop. But this man, Elijah, he had a disciple, Elisha, right? I don't get it. It's just, it sounds, to me, it sounds the same. There's Elijah and there is? No, it's just, okay. Elisa. Let's say the German name. Would it be fine? Elisa? So Elijah had a disciple, Elisa, and um, he is a man of prayer. He asked for the double anointing, and he got the double anointing, okay? Better we pray sometimes for the double anointing, Amen. So I want to share a message with you entitled, With Prayer from Darkness to Light. From prayer, with prayer from darkness to light. And this sermon is about prayer, about different kinds of prayer, but it's also a sermon from darkness to light. You have to bear with me, okay? The sermon starts pretty German, very dark. I don't know if you've been to Germany, we are super kind, we are not known that we are kind and happy, we're a little bit off sometimes, but I take it on myself. The first bullet point or the, the first part of the sermon is very dark. Bear with me, okay? It's okay? Bear with me. You know, we are, we are known for fast cars and Autobahn without limits. I tried that out yesterday on the highway, Pastor Melvin. Got pulled over by the cops. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me how that, though. They gave me a Mustang at the rental, an, an electric drive Mustang. I tried it out. But the police stopped me. So I rolled down the window and I said, I'm confessing my sin. I was speeding. And then he said, do you admit that you speeded? And I said, yes, I admit that I'm speeded. Okay, I give you a warning, he said. So spirit, the Hampton Roads is grace and spirit-based, even on the highway patrol. Because you're afraid for one month, the German guy could speed a little bit. So the story is in 2 Kings, and 2 Kings, um, when we read the story, is during the divided monarchy. A lot of you guys know there was a united monarchy with King Saul, David, and Solomon. It's one kingdom, Israel. And after Solomon, it gets a little bit complicated. If you read your Bible, it gets complicated, and only Pastor Joel can remember all the names of all the kings and what's happened and if they're good and bad. I, I, but, but I cannot remember. Perhaps you're on my team. And it gets complicated. There are 19 different kings in Israel over a period of 200 years and 20 different kings in Judah over a period of 350 years. It's complicated. At the time of our story, the south, Judah, 
was faithful to the covenant of God, God made with David. The north, however, where our story plays, and that's important, with his capital in Samaria, they had some big, big troubles. They were far away from God. They worshipped idols, Baal. They did not believe in the prophets, what the prophets told us. And they had a big problem. The city of Samaria got attacked by a king called Aram, and Aram laid a siege around the city so severe that a great famine broke out inside the city of Samaria. And I want to read you what happened inside the city walls, okay? We are entering a dark tunnel now, the German part. Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city and the siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of cap of seed pots for five shekels. As the king of Israel was passing by, a woman on the wall cried to him and said, Help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, If the lord does not help you, where can I get help from you? From the trash Threshing floor from the wine press. Then he asked her, what's the matter? She answered, this woman here said to me, give up your son so that we may eat him today. And tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, give up your son that we may eat him. But she had hidden him. Perhaps you can feel a little bit the despair inside the city wall of Samaria. Mothers killing their own sons, boiling them and eating them. Never heard about such a thing. It's in the Bible. Remember in those days, the king and Israel were far away from God. They worshiped Baal. They had no interest in God. They did not listen to the prophets. And one Truth jumps out of that reality that is the following. Through sin comes suffering. Turn to your neighbor and say, the German pastor is right. Through sin comes suffering. That's right. In our story, a donkey's head, known as a part of the animal that could not be eaten, sold for 80 shekels of silver, $500. That's not a Wagyu beef there. That's just a donkey's head. In Germany, we say, in der Not frisst der Teufel fliegen. Uh, translated, it would be literally, the devil eats flies when he has to. The equivalent in English would be, beggars cannot be choosers. If there is a famine, I would eat a donkey head. But the famine was so great and the despair was so great that moms were eating their own sons. Through sin comes suffering sooner or later. And we read that truth in the Bible throughout the whole Bible. This is no surprise to us. I brought you a list of eight different things where we can read in the Bible that sin provoked great suffering. Let's have a look. First one. Garden of Eden. Sin enters this world. Through sin comes suffering. The great flood all died. Through sin comes suffering. Sodom and Gomorrah, both cities destroyed completely, fire from heaven, but not a Pentecostal Holy Ghost fire. It's through sin comes suffering. Israel in the desert, they walked because of their unbelief, a whole generation died. Through sin comes suffering. In Judges, there's a cycle of seven repetitions of suffering, enslavement, and death. Why? Through sin comes suffering. The book of Judges shows us so powerful. David and Bathsheba, 
David goes sideways, a man, and later the innocent, un, the innocent young child died. There is no greater pain than a father burying his own son through sin comes suffering. Israel is later destroyed by the Assyrians, enslaved by the Babylonians, their promised land gone, their dream gone. Why? Through sin comes suffering. If we look in the New Testament, Jesus on the cross, an innocent man has to die because of the sin of the whole world. Through sin comes suffering. Everywhere where we put God aside, there is sin, there is suffering, pain, and shame. This is a basic principle that jumps out of the Bible, but it's also a basic principle if we look in the history of mankind. World War I, through sin comes suffering. World War II, enslavement here in the U.S., the war in Israel, through sin comes suffering. Have a look at your relatives of your own, in your own family. You know, the divorce, the abuse, the drug addiction, the fights, the anger, through sin comes suffering. Have a look in your own personal life. I could make a long list, but I'm not doing that today. In my own life, where I've suffered because of my stubbornness, because of my sin, because I'm selfish, because I'm egoistic, because I'm self-centered, because I'm without love. Have a look in your own life. The suffering comes because of your sin. Everywhere when you put God aside, there is sin and there is suffering. We turn our back, backs on God, and if we do, what is right in our own eyes, our own ethics, we reap what we sow. So you might ask, all suffering comes then from my personal sin? I'm not saying that at all. Because sometimes somebody else's commits a sin against us, and we are suffering because of the sin of somebody else's, the abuse and the addiction. Perhaps you're growing up in a, in a home where your father, he was perhaps was beating you up or he was an, uh, a drug addict or something like that. Suffering came into your life not because of your own sin, but because of the sin of somebody else. But the root of the suffering still is sin. Sometimes, oftentimes we are just ill because we live in a fallen world, right? There's a fallen body. And we are getting ill because we live in a fallen world. But the root of all the fallenness in this world, again, is sin. If we turn away from God, we are left without God. If he's not the king of our lives, we will live a life in self-indulgence. Nobody to tell us where to go, what to do, or not to do. And at the end, there will be suffering. So, new life, deep creek. Remember this. Through sin comes suffering sooner or later. My question for you this morning is, where do you live in sin? Without God, let me tell you, you will reap what you sow. Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. There are Christians that think, hey, well, God is love and grace, and we are happy that God is love and grace. Amen? I mean, I'm so happy that God did not give up on me. Right? Amen. I mean, sometimes we're just so stupid. And God is faithful to us still. We are happy about that. But God is also holy, and we should live holy as he's holy. A lot of Christians think, nothing will happen to me. Life will always be good. I can do whatever I want. Because God is a loving and a grace, graceful God. That's not true. 
Through sin comes suffering. Sin will bring nothing good to your life, nothing good to your family, nothing good to the ones you love. It's a curse. <laughs> And a curse is nothing good in your life. Sin makes us numb, dull. A person living in sin is a spiritual and emotional shipwreck. There's no drive. And let me tell you, there are way too many spiritual dead Christians who say that they believe in Christ, but they do not read their Bible, they do not pray, they do not evangelize, they watch porn, they play video games all day, they sleep with their girlfriends, they drink too much, they smoke. It's a dead end. There's no hope and no life in them. No joy. So what shall we do then? If suffering comes in our lives through sin, you know what we're going to do? We're going to activate the power of prayer. Amen? Amen? If you are suffering through someone else's sin, I want to invite you this morning, and later we perhaps we have time for that, pray a prayer of forgiveness. Pray a prayer of healing. You know, the power of forgiveness, if you release somebody, somebody that hurts you so much, but if you pray a prayer of forgiveness, God can heal you. He's able, isn't he? Are you suffering through your personal sin? I want to ask you this morning, you might consider stopping what you're doing. Don't be a fool and perhaps you can pray a prayer of confession and repentance. God is a loving God. He's the father waiting for the prodigal son to come home. He will embrace you with open arms if you pray a prayer of confession and repentance. He will turn your life around. He will forgive your sins. He will give you a new hope and a new life. Amen? Amen. So that's the first rule that comes out of this text. That's the dark tunnel, okay? Was it dark? It was dark, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> We're coming out of the tunnel now. I promise it's getting a little bit more colorful now. We see, amen. We're seeing light in the tunnel. The German part is over now. The second truth that jumps out of the text is this. From God comes the promises. Can we say it together? From God comes the promises. Amen. For the king in Samaria, this all happens because of the prophet Elisa. He is the man to blame. So, he wants to kill him, obviously. Uh, that was king's do they kill people so he sends his messengers to kill elisa and when he, uh, they arrive a conversation happens somehow elisa got rid of the killing squad and we read a small part of this conversation in second kings 7:1 elisa replied when the messengers of the king came hear the word of the lord this is what the lord says about this time tomorrow a sea that's around 10 pounds of the finest flour will serve for a shekel and two seas that's around 20 pounds of barley for a shekel at the gate of samaria god spoke and said there will be in 24 hours a miracle the impossible will happen There's no donkey heads to be eaten again. There will be flour for everybody in 24 hours. A lot um, has to happen for this to come true. The king has to resign. You know, alliance with Aaron had to be made. Contracts have to be assigned. All Israel had to um, repent and turn their ways to God. 
It's impossible in 24 hours for something like that. But this promise does not come from a man. The promise comes from God. And God is a God of the impossible. Did everyone believe in that promise? No. Let's have a look in the text. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? You will see it, says Elisa, with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. Does he believe the officer? Mm -mm. He will see with his own eyes, but he will not taste the goodness of the Lord. It's a beautiful text. You know why? It takes faith to believe in the impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It takes faith to believe in the promises of God, in the God of the impossible. And God is able. We believe in a miracle-working God. Four people believe in a miracle-working God. Is there anybody who believes in a miracle-working God? For God is nothing impossible. His name is above all other names. Even in the heavens, everybody has to bow their knees in the name of Jesus. On earth and under the earth, even the demons. Nothing is impossible for God. From God comes the promises. Amen? But you know what? Sometimes it's a little bit difficult to believe in the promises of God, right? We have our own sin, our unbelief. And sometimes the promises of God are too good to be true. Because it takes faith to believe in them. When the doctor said, mm -mm, there will be nothing more left to do. We take faith in the promises of God. When the bank account says, uh-oh, we're closing on Monday. <laughs> For God, nothing is impossible. You know, sometimes the promises of God are too good to be true. Nothing can separate us from his love. Not our own sin. We are loved. We are wonderfully made. If you believe in Jesus, the Holy Ghost, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, lives inside of you. Can you believe it? If you die, you will live again. Ooh. But it requires faith. To be on the road with God requires faith. Faith in him, faith in the impossible. The officers did not believe. He was an unbeliever. He would see but not taste. So what new life can we do to believe, to activate the faith and the promises of God in our own lives? We activate the power of prayer once again. We pray a prayer of faith. And if there is a little bit of unbelief in our hearts, we pray a prayer like the father of the son with an impure spirit in Mark 9. He says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus replied, if you can? <laughs> It's like with a smile. I imagine Jesus with a smile. If, you, if I can? <laughs> Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed. He cried out from the depth of his lungs. He said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That could be a prayer that you could pray. A prayer of faith to overcome and to believe in the God of the promises. Because all promises are yes and amen. Do you believe? Do you believe yes. in the promises of God that are yes and amen? Yes. And if there's a little bit of doubt, let's pray a prayer to overcome our unbelief. So this is going on more or less inside the city walls. 
The moms killing their boys, eating them. The king wants to kill the men of God. Let's have a look on the outside of the city walls and we will find not only the light I was promising you. It got a little bit more colorful now, right? Is it good? So, um, it's getting brighter now. The third and last um, truth that jumps out of the text is this. The redeemed bring the good news. Can you say that with me? The redeemed bring the good news. It's a long text. I want to read it to you. Uh, excuse my English. The accent makes it kind of interesting. Okay. <laughs> you can laugh at me if I do some mistakes. No problem. So, the text says, Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say we go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. If we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At thus they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord, say, for the Lord had caused their remains to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army so that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians' kings to attack us. So they get up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. Probably naked in the middle of the night. The man, had, the man who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and ate and drank. They had the best time of their lives. They took silver, gold, clothes, and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, Hey, guys, what we are doing is not right. This is a day of good news. Say, good news. And we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overcome us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, Hey, we went into the Americans' camp and no one was there. Not a sound of anyone. Only feathered horses and donkeys and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. Great story, right? So we introduced to four men, leprosy, living outside the city walls. They were not allowed to enter the city because they were ill, they had leprosy. And certainly, the enemy would not allow them to enter their camp. I mean, it's just crazy what they're doing, right? They were so desperate, they said to themselves, if we stay, we die. If we go back, we die. So what's the best option? Let's dare the impossible. Let's go to the enemy. Perhaps they're in need of four lepers, leopard men. Who knows? So they go. So they go. I think we can learn so much from those men. Look, if you always do the same in your spiritual life, and there are no, there, there are always the same results. Dare to do the impossible. Make a, a step of faith. Go into the water. Try something new. Go to the pre-service prayer. Amen. Give a prophetic word. Uh, tell your neighbor that Jesus is alive. Do something. If you stay where you are, nothing will change. Dare to dream the impossible. The four lepers arrived at dawn at the camp. 
And there's this beautiful sentence here in the text, for the Lord. The Lord changed everything with a sound. Isn't that good? With a something. It was a little bit more powerful, right? Because they thought it was an army, but it was a sound. So hail out to the guys at the sound booth over there. With a, the Lord changed everything with a sound. The enemy thought somebody will come and kill them, so they fled. Hey, what a joy. We're living a powerful, and we serve a living, powerful, and caring God. You know, have a look at your own lives. You can identify perhaps some Arams laying siege around some things in your own life. It's for the Lord, nothing is impossible. With a sound, he can drive them away. Nothing is impossible because the promises come from God. So the four men entered the camp empty. No one was there. They left everything behind. Gold, silver, horses, clothes, food, wine. Imagine the party. They had the, really the best time of their lives. So they're entering a tent. Imagine the excitement. Yeah? They're walking up and nobody's there. And they're entering the tent. They find wine and they, you know, they got drunk. I would say they got drunk. I would say they got drunk. They got drunk and they were partying and they were like just putting on the clothes and the gold and the silver and the chains and they were rapping to each other and then they, <laughs> they made a hole and they, you know, just hit the stuff and then they went to another tent. They said, hey, let's go again. Perhaps they did the Roman thing, just finger and then they go again. And then they entered another tent and then suddenly they reminded themselves, what we are doing is not right. This is a day of good news. This is a day of good news and we are not allowed to keep it to ourselves. So they went back and reported it to the king. The good news. The enemy has been defeated. We are free. Where does the good news come from? From the redeemed come the good news, right? They went, they took heart and they found life and life in abundance. I want to ask you. Are some redeemed in the house today? Are some redeemed in the house today? Are somebody, somebody here whose sins are forgiven? Is here somebody that found life in Jesus and life in abundance? Is here somebody that is clothed in the power of the Holy Ghost? You know, did you find clothing, bread, and hope? The world is longing for the things you have found in the tabernacle, in the presence of the Lord. The world is cold. People are looking for your warm coat. The world is poor. They are looking for your gold. The world is hopeless. They are looking for your hope. The world is not a peaceful place. They are looking for your peace that you have found in Jesus Christ. You have the keys. You found the treasure. You found life in Jesus. You found eternal life in him. You found the cross and the forgiveness of your sins. You discovered the promises of God. You are fed. Jesus took your shame, your self-doubt, your depression, your addiction, your suicidal thoughts, your loneliness, gave you a wonderful wife. You found Jesus. You found the good news. What do with it? Last summer we were in a public pool in Thun, Switzerland. I brought a picture just for you to get. Um, is the picture? Oh no, the picture's not here. Now the picture's not here. I don't. So imagine with me. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes and imagine. 
the Alps and the lake and a public pool in Switzerland. So imagine the most beautiful picture you can get. Better than Hawaii and the Bermudas and something. Switzerland is the real deal. So we were in this public pool, only three bucks to enter. And I wanted to go and swim with my girls. And there was a group of teenagers, uh, some girls, and they were just passing us by, like in, in a rush, they're just passing us by. They were talking. And one girl got my attention. She had all her legs and all her arms on both sides cut, deep scars. You know when sometimes the people cut themselves. But she was really, I mean, she was a beautiful young girl. She, she just cut herself all the way up. And she was just passing by. I was with my girls. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, is there anybody in her life, a redeemed one, who can tell her that she's loved? Is there a, anyone, is there a redeemed in her life that can tell her that there is a God who, who, who cares for her? Is there anybody in her life that can tell her the enemy has been defeated? The camp is empty. You don't have to live inside your city wall. You know, God could make the rocks cry out. But there's a principle. The redeemed bring the good news. How can we respond to that? With a prayer of dedication. A prayer where we say, Lord, here am I, send me to the world where the moms are killing their sons and eat them. Where the girls are cutting themselves and where they think there's nothing to live for and there's no hope and there's no life. With a prayer of dedication where we say to the Lord, Lord, here am I, send me. You've been so, so good to me, send me. Lord, give me wisdom, give me the right words, give me your supernatural power. I have found life in abundance, let me be your voice, send me. The redeemed bring the good news. I'm closing my sermon. Do you know how the story ends? Do you want to know how the story ends? <laughs> All right. There's a promise to be fulfilled, right? So the king hears the news from the four men. And he's an unbeliever, right? So he doesn't believe it. He thinks it's a trap. So he sends his messengers out. They come back and they confirm the good news. The enemy's been defeated. So we read in 2 Kings 7 the following. Now the king had put the officer on whose arm he lead in charge of the gate. It's the same man who went to Elisa, right? So he's in charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gateway and he died. Just as the man of God had foretold when the king came down to his house, it happened as the man of God had said to the king about this time tomorrow, a sea of the finest flour will sell for shekel and two seas of a barley for shekel at the gate of Samaria. So they're opening the gate. It was, they, were so in a, they, was, they were so hopeless that they just trembled on the guy. So the guy could see the gate opening, but he died just as the man of God promised him. I'm closing. Would you mind standing with me at the end of the sermon? And I'm just, in a minute, we'll hand it over to Melvin and he will lead you in a time of prayer. So let's wrap this up. I told you through sin, comes suffering. If you are sinning, if you live in a sin, 
flee from it. At the beginning, it's sweet. At the end, it's bitter. If somebody sinned against you, I want to invite you just in a moment to pray a prayer of forgiveness to release those who have sinned against you and caused suffering in your own life, to get your heart free. And if you are somebody who are convicted today of your sin, I want to invite you today to pray a prayer of repentance. Secondly, from God comes the promises I told you. Embrace and hold on to the promises of God. He promised us the Messiah. The Messiah came. He promised us love. Love is available. He promised us abundant life and we can find it in Jesus. Pray a prayer of faith. Perhaps over your unbelief also to hold on to the promises of God. And thirdly and secondly, the redeemed bring the good news. Use bad times to proclaim the good news. We have a mission. We're here for a reason. And perhaps you are fed up. God just stuffed everything good inside of you. Perhaps today is a day where you can pray a prayer of dedication where you tell the Lord again, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to thank you for the life that is possible to find in you and in your person. Thank you that the Holy Ghost is living inside of everybody who believes in you. The same power. Lord, we want to thank you that you have overcome our sin on the cross. So that we might find the abundant life in your presence, in the tabernacle of your presence. We want to thank you, Lord, that uh, we are here for a reason. That we are redeemed for a reason to bring the good news. Help us, Lord, to overcome our fear. Help us to overcome perhaps the things that we think we are not worthy or whatever. Help us, Lord, to be your messengers in this world. And we want to also ask, Lord, and we are praying a prayer of faith right now. Help our unbelief that all promises find their yes and their amen in you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen.